been a good few weeks since we last recorded, but welcome back to the Rogue Retro Smackdown review. And May the 4th be with you as we're looking at the May 4th, 2000 edition of WWF Smackdown, the Fallout Smackdown from the Fallout Raw of the Bay Review Backlash. And I'm joined by a man who wasn't on that, that Backlash 2000 review. He neglected you because he doesn't love you like I do. He uh, decided he couldn't make that show, although he's in the doghouse as he did not give his contractual 12 hours notice that he would not be on the show. So let's let's see how he, how he gets back into the good bits over the course of this recording. That is Samuel Preston. I don't know why you're saying to see whether or not I can get into the good books, because I'm not sure whether I ever was in the good books with you. It was probably more of a, I'll grin and bear it books at best <laughs> so if i do get in the good books this could be a brand new sensation <laughs> yeah it, it's been a while since you've we've been together sam how, how have you been oh i'll tell you what i had a lovely annual leave a couple of days ago where i had three days off and i basically spent the majority of it getting over an illness because of how much i'd burned the candle so basically I got to the point that I needed to be put to bed and make, make sure I get some energy back. But now I have energy and I can start doing podcasts again. So be prepared because, as always, I'm going to have thoughts. I'm sure you you do have plenty of thoughts and we'll get into those thoughts momentarily. But yeah, me and Carl, uh, we're left to do the we're left to do Backlash 2000, doing Godfather again, you know, and being a Teen Godfather, we'll, we'll have one in an new episode out by the time you hear this, but I might mention it on there. I'll tell you the stuff I've got to talk about, but the other day I went to go see Eternals, which is a film. <laughs> more on that, more of my thoughts on it on Bodnet Easy. It is certainly a film. <laughs> but you didn't get to see Backlash, and I'm sure you would have had many, many thoughts. So can we, can we get the condensed version of anything you wanted to say about Backlash 2000 because you didn't get to be on the actual review of it but you did alongside me I had to sit through all the build to the show so is there anything you wanted to talk about from that show or anything that you have memories of from that show um, I will say that The Rock winning the WWF Championship was a wonderful moment it was long overdue I, I do still feel that that moment would have been better if it had occurred at WrestleMania, but it was still a pretty good moment. Obviously, Austin getting being able to come back was pretty awesome as well, even though he could barely move. Um, I was slightly disappointed that I wasn't able to get to discuss Big Show impersonating Hulk Hogan, which is just <laughs> an image I never expected to see in my life. Um, it makes sense, obviously, paying homage to the person who brought him into the business. Um, for, uh, did think, uh, I did feel a bit bad for Kurt Angle that he basically got jobbed out very quickly. Um, I was disappointed by the finish to the Intercontinental Championship match as well, because it just, I, I love seeing those two wrestle. Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho are so fantastic together that even a short match has moments of good to it. So the fact that they ended in such a way is slightly disappointing. Um, I, I'm mostly 
curious to see how many people were surprised at how good Dean Malenko and Scotty Duhotty was, considering we were frustrated, obviously, in the lead-up that there were so many matches between the two of them which weren't needed when they could have waited for the actual pay-per-view. But to some degrees, I do like the fact that their best match was one that occurred on a pay-per-view where they could display it to as many people as possible and actually get the credit for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was probably the match I was most excited about talking about. But really... Backlash wasn't a show that, when I was younger, had much um, much connection uh, for me to want to enjoy and celebrate discussing. It's more going to be next year's Backlash that I'm definitely going to be like, I want to be involved, I want to talk about, because I have a lot of feelings about that one. But if I had to pick a pay-per-view that I wasn't going to watch for 2000, I guess Backlash would have been one of them because I'm not that emotionally connected to it. And there's other ones that I'm much more excited about going into detail one. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised to hear that because I hear a lot of people talk very highly about Backlash, especially amongst the other pay-per-views in 2000. For me, it was one of the best ones I think we've managed to talk about so far on this series. Uh, But I know there'll be even better ones maybe to come in 2000. But so far, I think it's definitely a step up to some of the 99 fair I had to look at. So, and uh, other than a couple, like one or two matches on the undercard, uh, I, I pretty much enjoyed the whole thing other than those couple matches. Me and Carl were both thoroughly underwhelmed with the Eddie Guerrero SA Rios match. Mm. It just wasn't what you kind of hoped it would be. Uh, I probably just, it's probably just the example of how little they probably think of SA Rios. Uh, loved the main event. As much as the shenanigans were involved, I still loved it. Uh, I was disappointed at how the, the IC title match ended as well, but it was still one of the best matches on the show. The Dean Malenko Scott like at that time when we recorded the, the Backlash review, that was like the second time in the space of a week I had to go to talk about that match because over on Scott and Paul's Rowland podcast, we did a, a little retrospective on the history of the light heavyweight championship and we chose that match particularly as like the spotlight, uh, one of the matches to spotlight for the history of that title and that's why I declared one of the the beginning of the end for that too, because it moved from the red strap to the basic pitch black strap, and it's no longer got that unique look it once had. Uh, and I think we talked about on one. Of, I talked about on one of those pods that I thought, well, oh, that DDT from the top rope—it's not really been done before. It's not something you could do all the time, but it's an impressive finish. That I'm surprised nobody's uh, tried done it since. And then Daniel Bryan basically pulled out that similar move against Miro at full gear. So that. Daniel Bryan's clearly, you heard it here first, Daniel Bryan's favourite match of all time is Dean Malenko versus Scotty Deotti from Backlash 2000. Well, to be fair, he probably was the equivalent of Dean Malenko, mostly having to wrestle matches with Scotty Deotti um, wannabes for the majority of his career. And it's only every now and again he gets someone who's at his level. But what we're getting to see nowadays with um, Brian Danielson is some tremendous wrestlers who can actually raise up to the standard that he has and it just makes absolute classics he is in the middle I, I, off topic I know he is in the middle of probably the best last minute run to be wrestler of the year I have ever seen in my life like he pretty much could not have kept it as late as possible and he suddenly appeared and every week he is bringing out absolute barnstormers I think at this rate his most disappointing match is probably going to be like four stars and he seems determined that he's suddenly going to remind everyone yes I really am 
the best wrestler in the fucking world and I'm going to kick your fucking head in. And it just makes me think that if he gets announced as best wrestler of the year, which I think at this rate he actually could be, that just shows how damn good this man is. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that in any sense. Uh, although I know Blanco's not got this gimmick yet, but Daniel Bryan got rebelled to Marion, so he's already more of a ladies' man than Dean Malenko ever was, even when they gave him a ladies' man gimmick that wasn't meant for him. But yeah, Maglite 2000 is rightly regarded one of the best pay-per-views of 2000 by a lot of people. And you know the appearance of Austin, clearly a lot of people were lured into a false sense of security thinking Austin was back full-time as... Uh, one of the highest raw ratings, not just of the year, but of all time, we came the following night, as a lot of people were probably expecting to see Austin pop back up again. And there were one or two Austin chants during the night. And I'll get into our raw fallout before we get into SmackDown. Uh, one thing that we think we don't have to talk about in SmackDown, but I'll make a wee mention of it because it happened on Raw. The the rivalry that will never end, the Terry-Cat rivalry continued <laughs> as Cat teamed with Jacqueline against Ivory and Terry. Unfortunately, instead of Ivory and Jacqueline built bringing Terry and the cat up to their level, Terry and Cat brought them down to theirs. Because even <sighs> the spots that involved Jacqueline and Ivory were just bad because the shitness of Terry and Cat rubbed off on them. And it was so bad that I finished my notes for the section with all cats and two exclamation marks. Fuck this match. <laughs> this is where I'm really glad that you get to watch the war episodes and smackdown episodes and i only have to watch smackdown because every now and again you seem to go into the description of something absolutely diabolical that you had to sit through and all i can think to myself is the closest i'm going to get to this is listening to your whining and after a couple of minutes i just tune you out anyway so it's perfect one of these days i'm going to just switch around and tell you to watch raw and i'm just going to take that that week off and just watch the smackdown one of these days I'm but knowing your, knowing your luck, it will be the best war, and I'll be coming back <laughs> saying like, oh, it was absolutely brilliant, you had this, you had this, and you're going to be like, fuck my life. <laughs> uh, at least, I'm at least glad that Raw and SmackDown are the same length this time, because if this was a case of like Raw being three hours and SmackDown being two, and I had to recap Raw, then I, I'd, I'd have quit this long ago. And so, I don't know, i got to take... <clears throat> could clear my, clear my throat, take a big intake of oxygen, fill up my lungs up because I got a lot of Rip McMahon, Triple H shit to talk about here. Here we go. Well, I'm going to go run a bath. I'm going to create it. I'm going to knit a cardigan and I'm probably also going to um, do a fitness regime. So let me know when you're done, okay? Uh, well, to open raw, the group that I've deemed Triple H and the regime, which sounds like a really bad metal band, uh, come to the ring. And Triple H talks about how Rock needed Austin, he needed Linda, he needed Earl Hebner to help him beat the game. And Triple H also got a sling on, by the way, after the uh, the Rock bottom through the announced table spot. And he's basically talking about how it wasn't fair that Rock needed all these people to help beat him. And he says, still the game, it's like, not game's not over, despite what JR said at the end of Backlash, when he, when he yelled at the top of his lungs, the game is over! Uh, he, he said he will take back the WF title the first chance he gets uh, Stephanie does try and cut a promo but she's quickly drowned out by chance of she's a crack whore and you can see in the background Vince and Triple H visibly are not happy with, with the crowd for chanting this even though uh, Stephanie's a heel 
uh, Vince McMahon warned Steve Austin and Lena McMahon about what might happen if they get involved in his in his business again. I tuned out to what he actually said because he went on for a long time, you know, typical saying spending ten minutes to say what you could have said in two. And he said that he'll deal with Earl Hebner later on. And he says that tonight history will be made. History will be made in this very ring. And then he points to a steel cage uh, looming above the arena. So basically something's going to happen with the steel cage later on. Uh, and Vince has the studios and he tells him he wants him to do him a favour and bring him Earl Hebner. And Joe Briscoe actually asks him if they want him to rough if Vince wants the studios to rough up Earl Hebner a bit for him and he says, no, just bring him to me. Uh, and he basically warns Hebner to stay out of his business and he just talks down to him because, you know, he's just a referee. Uh, the Rock comes out for a promo later on. Kind of, I mean, arriving late to the arena again, The Rock, even though you're the WF champion. Uh, he arrives to the arena, he thanks Austin for keeping his word and being in The Rock's corner. And he basically calls out Vincent the regime and everybody because he knows that they've got something planned for him so he just wants to get it over with. And he says, Vince says, tonight Rock, you will make history as you will have the shortest WF Championship reign in history. As tonight you will face Shane McMahon in a steel cage match for the title and they stress that you can only win the match via escape. Triple H isn't happy about uh, not being in the match. He wants to fight him and not Shane because he doesn't want anyone else other than him to be the champion. Uh, again, by the way, I just want to stress this out because they kept beating us, beating us over the head with the rock and we have the shortest tower in history. History could be made tonight. The shortest WF Championship reign is just under a minute with Andre the Giant immediately giving it to Teddy Biasi in a reign that's null and voided. So that reign is, that is the shortest WF Championship reign of all time. And even if you want to go more to more recent history because, you know, actually there are people with short attention spans. Kane, Mankind in the last couple of years have had one day title reigns and haven't been declared the shortest champion. So The Rock wouldn't even be the shortest champion of the Attitude Era if he lost the title that night. He wouldn't even be the shortest reigning champion to have lost the title on an episode of War because Kane and Mankind both lost the title on Raw, so it doesn't really help the story of their tally. They they could have just like gone with saying it will be not necessarily the shortest title reign, but it would be the most embarrassing end because of the fact he would lose to Shane McMahon. Really put over how much it's stacked against him and how it they'll do anything it takes, even giving it to someone like Shane McMahon. That would make a lot more sense than going, oh, it's going to be the shortest title reign ever. As long as you neglect to actually think about anything pre-January the 1st, 2000. I know. See, if, if you said it's the shortest title reign of the millennia, then, you know, you can technically be right because we only just started 2000. But, like, even the fact that it's Vince constantly stressing this, and he's the one who set it up, you won the title in the episode of SmackDown, and you gave it up the following Raw. Like, ah, but that's probably three days. That's three days long. So we technically would have had a longer title reign than The Rock. I know, but it's still a short fucking reign. <laughs> anyway, The Rock and Shane McMahon. Uh, I should stress, by the way, you had two special referees in this match. On the outside, you had Gerald Briscoe and you had Pat Patterson inside the ring. And I remember this match because it was on a Rock DVD that got released a while ago. And I remember some of the jokes that uh, JR made referencing Pat Patterson being a gay man. <laughs> uh, like, I'm pretty sure he goes, 
I think he little blows the rock at one point and goes, Person goes low on the rock. Probably a dream come true for him. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I mean you won't get away you wouldn't get away with it nowadays, but I think um it, it doesn't surprise me that bit of humour. And I, I Pat Patterson comes across to me as the sort of guy that just wouldn't give a shit anyway. So maybe have a bit of fun with it. Why not? Yeah. Pat Patterson being gay, the worst kept secret in all of wrestling to to the point where he when he came out and Legends had said we just like, Yeah, we know. Uh, but the, the, the Patterson does distract the Rock a bunch of times during the match, which helps Shane get the advantage. Obviously, he's not reached his final form in 2019 because 2000 Shane needs dist- multiple distractions and shenanigans to get any offense in on someone like the Rock. But 2019 Shane could beat him e- easily just with one hand tied behind his back because he's the best in the world. Vince uh, tries to drag Shane out of the uh, out through the door at one point. Triple H randomly grabs a giant stick and starts poking it through the cage at the rock. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, rock then grabs, grabs it off of him and drags it through the cage and uses it as a weapon on Shane. Uh, like I said, Patterson hits a low blow. Shane tries to climb out, but you know he's knackered and uh, gives the rock enough time to grab him and just throw him from the top of the cage. Uh, rock tries to go out the door, but Briscoe slams it shut in his face. Uh, Triple H then manages to get back and in, get inside the cage and start beating up the rock to help Shane. While the fans chant Austin, Earl Hebner eventually comes in for assistance. He takes it to stages. The Rock manages to escape the cage. What's interesting is the Rock goes over the cage, and uh, while he's doing that, you see it cuts to after the bell rung. After the bell, it actually cuts to the side of where the door is, where he saw Vince trying to drag Shane out, but he just wasn't able to drag Shane out in time. He just see the big look of disappointment on Vince's face, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that dastardly Earl Hebner. And Earl Hebner raises the rock's hand eh, to close out Raw. Um, having only seen the uh, clips at the beginning of SmackDown, I have to admit, one part of me was half expecting Shane McMahon to become WWF champion, because why not? It's the sort of thing that they were obviously planning in about 2017 or whatever it was. Um, but this was actually the sort of match where it, it worked around Shane's limits quite well and also was a very exciting match because it's you got as much stacked against the rock as possible very much in the style of when Steve Austin was champion um having all of these odds stacked against them and still being able to win it in a believable manner you know he's they're not indestructible superhuman scene or whatever they win because of their tenacity their intelligence and their ability to take advantage of the moments that are given to them that i can imagine that this was probably great fun to watch and probably great fun to cheer on as well it i was kind of tempted to go back and watch the match uh fair play to shane for taking some of the bumps he did i think the one way he got brought back into the ring, especially uh, it, it was looked really painful, um, and it just it really sets up a good energy for SmackDown. You're like, what's going to happen next? If that's what they were willing to do just then, what are they going to do now? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to find out in a second as we then get into SmackDown in Richmond, Virginia, and it's the home of Earl Hebner. Yeah, and we know that. Because they make sure you tell you right from the off, and they don't stop telling you. 
that Errol Hebner's from there. Errol Hebner officiates the opening match on SmackDown and gets his own entrance. Good spring for an entrance theme, but he gets an entrance and a ring introduction. I uh, like to imagine him coming out to like Bruce Springsteen's "I'm the Boss." Because uh, <laughs> the referee is always in charge, as we know. Uh, oh, having to get in his own entrance at a ring. I want everyone to remember that the next time they suggest that Bryce Wemsberg or Orby Edwards get too much attention when they're refereeing matches, because it, this is a completely different level. But unfortunately, it's, it's only the beginning of the ridiculous um, decisions they make when it comes to refereeing. But we'll go into detail as we continue. Mm-hmm. Should also mention in regards to the regime and, and DX that they weren't just you know fixated on Errol Hebner and The Rock. Uh, his Xbox had a match uh, on Raw with Jericho because uh, Vince wanted Xbox to quote defend the honor of his daughter because of the things that Jericho had been saying about her. And then they got into it with Errol Hebner, and eventually Xbox shoves Errol Hebner and gets himself DQ'd. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Earl Hebner's all over the shop. So we, they open a match that he's going to be officiating as a rematch from Backlash 2000, Jericho and Chris Benoit. And this is a really hard-hitting match right from the offset. Both men jobbing each other. They, stubble, they end up tumbling to the outside while they're brawling. Benoit manages to find a way to counter the line saw him at where German suplex. Very loud Benoit sucks chance. Did also mention Benoit won a match. Uh, on Raw to retain the icy title over Taz with a, as I put my notes, shit Northern Light suplex. <laughs> and it was shit. And like, Paris Sang was hanging on the outside and Sang didn't even interfere. He got involved afterwards. He just, then we just beat Taz quickly with a Northern Light suplex and that was it. Uh, there we go. Benoit gets very loud. Benoit slips chance during this match. Uh, Benoit obviously has injured his nose during the, during the ending of the backlash match with the title belt spot. Yeah, and gets caught with a spin kick causing him to re-injure his nose and starts bleeding uh, and I think that's why the, the canvas looks so dirty for the rest of the bloody night uh, Jericho ends up getting dumped to the outside Earl Hebner gets a bit of a shoving match with Benoit Jericho then hits the, oh, a title sh- Jericho then uses the IC title belt again and then hits the line salt and Jericho opens Smackdown this week by winning the Intercontinental Championship I'll tell you I'll, I'll go into more why this surprised me uh, in a second, but so I want to get your thoughts, you know, on this because I know you said you were disappointed with how they ended at Backlash, but uh, well, what a hell of a way they start off SmackDown. Not only are we getting an actual match to start us off, but we're getting a title change. I so I started off quite surprised that we were having a rematch from Backlash so quickly, considering the um, the hatred between Benoit and Jericho and how much heat it generates. I could, this could have easily been a major main event on an episode of war, but then again, I'm never going to be one of those that complains about getting to see these two wrestle. Uh, I loved Benoit's timing during the match. For instance, when Jericho jumped onto the ropes to do the line. So, and Benoit catches, basically catches him and hits the free German suplexes. I thought that was a very clever moment. The chops were with, ridiculous they it was like the two of them were both determined to remove each other's chest it was ridiculous um i was curious about benoit's uh sunset flip off the top rope i thought that was very unique and i think this is why not many people try it because you could end up crumpled crumpled over but thankfully jericho recovered well to attempt the walls of jericho um 
I thought it was a really good opening match. Uh, the title change was a shock, but it now makes sense to me why they kicked off with the rematch, because they obviously want to have a big moment to hook the crowd in. Um, I do feel to some degrees that the push and shove between Benoit and Hebner should have been a disqualification because it would have been normally, but instead Hebner gets physical, continuing the storyline that we've had so far and end up being more of a punishment probably for Benoit than being disqualified because he lost the title. So it was um, a surprise decision. It was an interesting decision. It was overall a good match that kicked off the show really well. I'm curious to see where it goes from here, but I am a little bit disappointed that they had to include the Hebner storyline in such a decision when it could have easily just been a one-on-one match between two fantastic wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to include more like reference back to the screen nature of the ending to backlash because obviously Benoit was trying to use the title belt to beat Jericho and then Jericho when he tried to do it back that's when the referee got back up and caught him which is why the match ended in a DQ uh, but it is weird to see for the babyface and Jericho to immediately go for the title belt while while Benoit was distracted but I was like I was like convinced I was convinced that we were going to get a repeat of the world title and so I was convinced that because Hebner was involved, Vince was going to try and, you know, force Jericho to get the belt back once again, and you know, null and void that title reign as well. Because we got insurrection coming up after this SmackDown, and uh, spoiler alert: the insurrection watch along has already been recorded. Uh, so, and I had this weird memory because I know Benoit fights Kurt Angle on that show, and Eddie Guerrero fights uh, Jericho. I had that somehow maybe it's the Mandela effect, although previous episode of uh, the Rogue Pains podcast have showed I don't really know what the Mandela effect actually is. Uh, so somehow I had it in my head that Benoit defended the IC title against Kurt Angle and then Jericho challenged Eddie Guerrero for the European Championship. And I was sort of half right. So I didn't realise Jericho went into this same direction as the IC champion. I thought he won it from Benoit somewhere else down the road. But, you know, at least this means that the rivalry between the two is continuing. And I still think it was a hell of a way to start off SmackDown. The Mandela effect, I'm going to start off with that. The Mandela effect is a very interesting mention because everyone has a case of it. it, it in a nutshell, it's basically that you your memory is incorrect, but if you're so certain it is correct. So, for instance, all those people are certain that Nelson Mandela died in prison. But in actual fact, he didn't die in prison. It's just this natural belief that, oh, surely it's what actually happened. So it's just a it's just a, mis- a case of mistaken identity that became um, not popular, but most believable. I I get the two matches that you're thinking of. That very, that does sound very similar to basically the night after WrestleMania where Jericho lost the European title, and then also probably any future match between. Benoit and Angle over the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, it's it's a very very strange one overall from what you're saying. Um, I'll be cu- uh, curious to see what is going to happen from here. But as a moment, being able to see these two tremendous wrestlers given a relatively 
good amount of time for the Attitude Era. I mean, six minutes is pretty much a half-hour special when it comes to um, the Attitude Era. Just giving them enough time to actually put a really good match together that uh, the audience can get involved in. I love that. And... I am never going to, like I said, I'm not going to complain about these two wrestling. I'm not going to complain about the fact that Jericho gets to win the title. And it may be, it kind of makes sense that Vince McMahon wouldn't come out and change the title decision because at the end of the day, he doesn't really care about the Intercontinental Championship. The only thing he cares about is the WWF Championship because that's the figurehead. And also, it's basically what Triple H really loves as opposed to his daughter. So, to me, it makes sense that no one got involved in this. If it means that we get to see them wrestle again, hell yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see two actual workhorses fighting over the, the workhorse belt because... The IC title, for the winter of like late 99, early 2000, there's been a lot of silliness around it because you had Jeff Jarrett holding that his whole anti-women crusade and then the good ice keeping match and Jericho saying, I'll beat China for the IC title or I'll have a sex change and then Angle being the champion of Europe and, you know, all of the all of the rest of the world and everything with the Eurocontinental title. But now we're getting back to a more serious rivalry for the IC title between these two and I'm all about it. It's interesting because, as I said, interactions came up, and I learned heading into the Rebellion preview last the previous year that we were watching on the network the American versions of these episodes of SmackDown, where you only get like one or two mentions, but from the commentators about the UK previews. Whereas if you're watching the UK version, there would have been a lot more promotion for those pay-per-views. And I don't think SmackDown is really readily available in the UK at this point, so it's interesting to have a title change and then have have somebody go to insurrection like. The fuck did Jericho win the IC title? <laughs> so you got a title change that some of the people at the UK review probably wouldn't have actually seen when it happened. I really read about it somewhere. But I was happy that this opened the show rather than a McMahon promo because that's what follows as we see them arriving at the arena and then they, do, they cut the promo up on the ramp. Mostly it's Vince talking and it's short for these kind of segments. It's ripped relatively short than it usually is. It's uh, seven minutes, but Vince McMahon gives us a masterclass on how to make seven minutes feel like seven hours. As he comes out and talks about the history of Richmond, Virginia, and he says about how Richmond is the home of the Confederacy, and it's also the home of Earl Hebner. And it's fitting because Richmond said its own, it said its fair share of corrupt officials. And uh, he talks about, I can't remember who he said gave the speech, they give me liberty, give me strength. And then he says, like, I bet they didn't have these problems when they were uh, when they were giving their speech because the fans keep chanting assholes during, like, you're interrupting my speech. <laughs> Which, I just love the way Vince interacts with the, the crowd. And so, the long and short of it is, uh, Triple H, the long and short of it is that Vince wants to bring another WF title match. This time, he's going to have Earl Hebner make his WF wrestling debut. If I remember correctly, I think it was uh, Jefferson Davis who was um, the confe- uh, Confederate guy. And that was a bit of an uncomfortable moment uh, in that you're talking about the home of the Confederacy and it's getting massive cheers. Uh, the line of the night, I will say, was probably when Jerry Lawler was going, I read that in the paper. And Michael Cole went, you read the paper? It's the only time I've probably ever written in my notes. Nice one, Michael. Um 
I I actually disagree in regards to this uh, promo. I thought it was probably because I'm so used to Triple H promos. To be fair, I found this a relatively quick promo that just got in, got to the point, did everything needed to, and was done. There was no like five ten minutes of recapping shit that everyone already knows. There was no like five minutes of I'm awesome and you should all remember that. Pretty much come in lead into the main point, which is going to be Earl Hebner and the walk book a match, then say what the States are going to be and get out. I was, I was expecting a much longer promo and I was almost like when it finished, I was like, Oh, okay. Vince, you've basically done what triple H can and got to the point, which is fantastic. Um, so I actually really like this promo. I can't believe I'm about to say that. I really like this promo and I thought it was a really good method of hooking the crowd and the viewing audience, um, to be intrigued for the rest of the episode, because now basically we've been given our main event. We know what's going to come up and we're intrigued to see where it goes. The only negative to that is that as usual, the main event is announced after the show fucking starts, which means, as always, I'm going to have to pay attention to let you know what our proper main event was going to be prior to this. I bet you can't wait. I cannot wait. Uh, so, yeah, Ebner is going to team with The Rock against uh, X-Pop. Not the road dog, as Vince calls him, the road doggy doggy. And Triple H... And a match, the other Rock's WFT will be on the line. And he goes, I suppose you could call this a handicap match. And then, and Miguel Cole just very loud goes, Yeah, think? And then Daryl Law tries to clean Drew the third. And he goes, No, it's a handicap for DX because Triple H has only got one good arm. <laughs> and he says, like, If the Rock gets pinned, he loses the WFT. If Earl Hebner gets pinned, he'll lose the WFT. And by the way, through the night and during the match itself, Michael Cole basically says, like, oh, the Rock's basically outnumbered, because it doesn't say it, but it may as well have just said, Earl Hebner's a crap tidy partner, he'll probably get pinned, because obviously Earl Hebner isn't a wrestler. And the match is going to take place, where else, but in that very ring. I don't know why they keep having to stress that very ring, like, where else is it going to happen? It's not the hardcore title. <laughs> We're going to have a handicap match, in the DX Express. <laughs> and they say the charred remains of the DX Express. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, do it. I would pay to watch that, I'm sure, because I'm already watching this shit. So <laughs> give me something a little bit different. She <sighs> also mentioned, they make several jokes about, because they're in Virginia, and they joke about Richmond and the idea of people being inbred. And Jerry Lawler is actually on top form with some of these jokes. He makes a joke about two jokes about I have not particularly loved, which is one is he lets his twelve year old daughter smoke at the dinner table in front of her kids. <laughs> and then he says that Earl Hebner has been married three times. He's got still got the same in laws. That was good, I have to admit. That one <laughs> did actually make me laugh a little bit. I was just like, Oh god no, Jerry the King Lawless made me laugh. Please don't say that Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> uh, we're in bizarre world. Uh, <laughs> let me get a couple of backstage stuff. Uh, we get a vignette with these three creepy ass children heading in, playing in what looks like Freddy Krueger's basement. 
I actually put this is legitimately what I put in my notes. Creepy Freddy Krueger s commercial. I know. <laughs> it's an, and the promo the vignette ends with the words "Judgment Day is coming." Uh, I think a lot of people can tell what this is leading to, but uh, we'll wait till we get to it. And then, after the last few times where we've seen the changes in Agent Christian's character, either be on episodes of Raw or at Backlash, where Sam hasn't been here to see it, now Sam gets to see what I've been waiting to see. Agent Christian are backstage getting facials. Not that kind of facial, get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, Too late. And let me... And let me explain to you what happened. On Raw, they randomly decided to help TNA beat the Dudleys for some reason by running in and interfering in their match. And then later on, they decided to throw out an open challenge for their titles. And they also explained that they don't come to the crowd anymore because their fans are just too excited to see them. They couldn't deal with that. They don't want to be uh, amongst the people. But we don't want to disappoint you. And so to make up to them, we get the first ever five-second pause. And I popped very much for the for the five-second pose. And so the open challenge is answered by the team of Rikishi and Shokishi. <laughs> and I really hoped we'd finish seeing the big show in small black pants after his weird run of wearing those when he was seen with The Undertaker. But yeah, obviously the champs get battered for the majority of the match until uh, they use the ring bell to get themselves DQ'd. But in the end, they both get stink-faced. And so they're trying to get any remnants of ass removed from their faces by getting facial on SmackDown. And they already re- they reference that they've already lost the magazine cover because of this. And as Edge barks orders at Janet, they make it lead to not miss an inch of his face. Every inch, Janet. Every <laughs> inch. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching Edge and Christian when they originally were doing um, the five-second poses. And uh, so, for the benefit of those with flash photography, and this is something that I've been looking forward to so much since we started doing the retro reviews. I have to admit that I wanted to re-watch all of these classic moments with Edge and Christian because before before this as we were saying they were starting to show a little bit of their character i still remember with edge doing like the uh horny little she devil um reaction after he speared terry and it's just allowing their personalities to come out which that is when they are so damn good because they're just so charismatic it just comes out really easily and they can either do a sincerity or they can do the smarmy heel which they're so damn good at i am happy that they came up with a reason for why they're no longer going through the crowd because i actually did think to myself uh, when they appear later on, why did they not come through the crowd? But it, obviously they've actually come up for with a reasoning for that, which I think is fantastic. And I've, we're about to we're about to venture on possibly some of the best segments and skits that the WWF have ever put together. And what's really going to add to Edge and Christian is not only a future partnership that should come up soon, but also a let's say antagonistic or 40 figure that uh, has tremendous chemistry with them. We are about to see some damn magic over the next couple of months. We absolutely are. And then next, which is weird for episode, we get three matches literally like back to back to back with no like backstage bits in between. It just goes to commercial, cut back, burn to another match, which is weird. The first of those is 
is Ace Rios and Lita taking on Eddie Guerrero in China, and this is this is it. You can call it time of death on not not necessarily the push because I don't think he was ever as he was ever made as strong enough to make it seem to be called a push. But uh, whatever they're doing with Ace Rios the last few months since he reappeared as light heavyweight champion, it's pretty much done now because. You know, he lost Eddie in an underwhelm match and then had Lita rip off China's prom dress, but they didn't even care about the fact didn't care about the fact that China's dress got ripped off. And then Wesley lost a rematch to Eddie, which wasn't much better than the backlash match, and Lita came out wearing China's dress to kind of mock her, and China put, ripped the dress back off of her as a bit of revenge. And now they're ready to batter them in a tag team match. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know how that Lita woman is ever going to cover. Surely she can't go on to any sort of meaningful Hall of Fame-like career after this whole ordeal. No, absolutely not. I mean, as soon as this match started, I realised who was going to be wrestling. I just wrote the words, Lita is about to die. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty much all that was going to happen. The powerbomb she received by China looked painful as hell. I'm going to say it. Um and do you know what, Lita? It was lovely knowing you. I'm sure you will never be seen again. Uh, nothing worth remembering, as uh, apart from being a brief role as a valet for a luchador that didn't really achieve much and was never really pushed. The only thing that's really going to be of a uh, real importance to this match is obviously the fact that Michael Cole had to ask stupid questions, such as if El Hebner gets pinned, the Rock loses WWE title which meant that Jerry the King Lawler had to be the intelligent one, and my brain cells started to hurt due to the fact I needed such suspension of disbelief in order to try and accept that. And I just couldn't. I couldn't. My brain started to hurt too much, and I just had to walk away. <laughs> I know. Like, he cannot be the intelligent one here, especially given that they recapped the, what happened both at Backlash and on Raw with the dressing. And, uh, dear Lola screens over to Brian Panties so many times that you think that it's some sort of competition and he wins some sort of special prize if he says Brian Panties so many times in a row. Uh, so he cannot be the intelligent one of this group, otherwise we're all doomed. But Lita wisely does not want to get into the ring with China. Uh, not because, but because I've heard a lot of people don't want to get in the ring with China, but that's more of a comment on our wrestling ability. Uh, Rios does get word over two on one by China and Eddie. Uh, he does counter a back Zubais and hits a drop kick uh, to China and hits a, he hits a drop kick to China off the apron. Lita then sneaks around and hits some of the weakest looking kicks I've ever seen while China down for immediately running away from her. Uh, the referee does temporarily get distracted by by China, allowing Lita to choke Eddie behind the ref's back. China does, and as you mentioned, China hits a very wicked looking power bomb. It's the rules get set into the barricade by Eddie. And China pins Lita with one foot on her chest. It absolutely squashes Lita somewhere in the distance. Ivory gets a cold shiver down her spine, almost seeing a little glimpse into her future, but on a much bigger stage. So it's like a bit of foreshadowing. And you just have like, if it, Ivory basically was um, uh, Phoebe Halliwell from Charmed, just suddenly get a premonition and going, oh God, I don't want that. I'm sure. I'm sure she'll come up with some sort of way in order to avoid it. Maybe she can get a couple of um, like-minded friends to support her during her future endeavors. But that's the future for the moment. Let's just um, enjoy uh, the death of the valet and the uh, funeral proceedings for Sa Rios's career. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you, Dolan for S.A. Rios. <laughs> I've not expected a Charmed reference in the middle of the show. I was going to just use maybe an Obi Wan reference, like China's sitting there and Jack, we got Jack on there. I think, what's wrong? But a great disturbance. It's if a thousand voices cried out in terror and were suddenly squashed. Oh, <laughs> uh, they must have just seen the porno. <laughs> Uh, moving swiftly on from that we have Kurt Angle coming out here uh, talking about porn he, he doesn't like Hardcore Holly because his, the name of Hardcore reminds him of Hardcore Pornography uh, he talks about Richmond and talks about how they, they, you know they say the Richmond is for lovers but they should change that to Richmond is for lovers unless those lovers happen to be within the same family uh, and then out comes Hardcore Holly, who's somehow the face, which I don't care, know how that, that could ever happen. And basically says to Kurt, yeah, Kurt, Richmond is for lovers, but it's not for 30-year-old virgins. Like, okay. Uh, I didn't know Steve Carell was in this match. Shit. Like 30, somewhere Judd Apatow's like, hmm, a 30-year-old virgin. It's not quite pathetic, pathetic and doesn't provide nearly as much comedic opportunity. Let's add 10 years onto that. And the script was starting to be formed. But I did, again, Gerald Lawler being on the button, as he uh, has been so far, says about that comment, I've no, I know Kurt very well, and I can tell you, Kurt is definitely not 30. Oh, great. Great way to throw him underneath the bus there, King. Uh, it t- turns out that even when you're being supportive, you're still fucking useless. <laughs> Also, I feel like I feel like I've seen quite a few times Kurt and Hardcore randomly being paired together, and you know, always every time I see, I think, is this that match? Is it that match where you know that Minsult goes wrong? But I no. said I actually wrote that. I actually said beforehand, is this the match where his arm gets broken? So I was expecting the entire time to have that moment, and I was kind of disappointed not to get it. I have to admit. Also, weirdly in Kayfabe, uh, Hardcore Holly is technically the strongest person other than The Rock in Kayfabe at this moment because <laughs> hard, after that weird thing with Taz, Ben Wan starting on Raw for the IC title, Hardcore Holly just comes out and randomly starts battering everybody and stands tall in that segment. And then he somehow has to come out looking strong over Kurt Angle, you know, the guy who's going to win King of the Ring, spoilers, and the guy who's already held two title belts going out at WrestleMania while he won a belt. He wasn't meant to, but somehow Hardcore Holly has to be the one looking strong. Like all I could think was, is this during that phase that phase that Bruce Pritchard talks about, where Hardcore is going to grave? Like, why don't you give me the bell? I'll beat up everybody. Wouldn't even surprise me. I did find it quite strange that he had to get his heat back. And the only thing I could think of is, are they going to have a rematch? Because if they don't have a rematch, then basically they've had a also ran member of the roster who even trying to get the crowd on side was very underwhelming and it was he only got a cheer because the line was actually surprisingly funny not because they support hardcore um yet he's being made to look better than your future main eventer inca angle it just doesn't really make sense um there was another issue in regards to this match, which for me is to do with the referee. I don't know what you thought, but you often, usually on a, on a show, you will try to avoid having similar finishes occur 
multiple times. You wouldn't have, like, for instance, three matches where they win by a roll-up unless you're a modern-day episode of Monday Night War where nobody gives a shit. But you, this is the second of three matches where the referee physically gets involved with one of the competitors and ends up causing them losing. Now, with El Hebner, it makes sense. That's within his character. But when did this referee become physically capable enough that he could push hardcore Holly enough that Kurt Angle would get a free count? That, to me, makes not that much sense. And I feel that you don't actually get Kurt Angle over because of both that decision and the decision to have Hardcore Holly attack him afterwards. The only thing that's slightly more uncomfortable to this match is the fact that Jerry Lawler decides to compare a film about Kurt Angle to Schindler's List, which is just like, I get it, they're both biopics, but please do not compare Kurt Angle to a real-life Holocaust movie. It gets really fucking uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable enough listening to Jerry the King Lawler on a good day. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. I, I get what you're going for because, like you said, like because like Kurt had been the premiere of Gladiator. You know, he was the personal invited guest of Steven Spielberg. who might make a film about uh, Kurt's life, and yeah, he, he directed both of them. But still, yeah, given the context of Sandra's left, don't don't try and mention that. Uh, yeah, the referees were weird all night. You now this is you know almost as bad as those like, that week and a half period after they went on strike, when about aren't unforgiven, where they came back and suddenly had this newfound authority where. I feel like the referees could do it wherever the fuck they wanted. Uh, but yeah, and this happens quite a few times during the night, and Jerry Lawler, his comments make me think this is also like maybe a planned like theme here where he was like, oh, these, these guys, they've been hypnotized or something like that, or he calls the referees like the Hebner's cult or whatever, basically, because Earl Hebner got reinstated and seems to be able to do what he wants, so that it's, given, it's affected all the other referees. You know, it's almost like, not Insurrection Night, when they do the next pay-per-view that they care about because it's on American soil, like, say, Judgment Day, it's almost like when they do the main event, they're going to have to go down the, uh, the special guest referee route again. And to do that, they want to make you think that none of the, they want the heels to think that none of the actual referees can be trusted. Hmm. Just to say, as a thought. But, yeah, it's, we've not really talked about this match because it's not really much to say. It's kept weirdly short. Harley batters angle for most of it. Angle then feigns a knee injury. Holly, as we said, gets into it with the referee. And after the referee shoves Holly, he manages to back up into a bridging German suplex from Kurt for the win. And as Kurt jumps around and celebrates like he's won another gold medal, Hardcore Holly attacks him and gives him a Falcon Arrow on a chair. Because, you know, in a match, nobody kicks out the Falcon Arrow, but to the Falcon Arrow on a, on a chair, it's just a bit devastating. Kurt Angle might as well have broke his freaking neck again. I, he's just he's just going to have to make a tremendous comeback and maybe one day he can also break Hardcore Holly as an example of karma. Hmm. Yes, maybe. You know, what, what goes around comes around Hardcore. Uh, but, you know, like I said, we had three matches in a row. The first two weren't very good, I don't think. I don't think it's really much of a, a statement to make, uh, given what we've said, but... I did like the third one. It was Edge and Christian and a handicap match against Rikishi and the issue of the career that their faces are now once again 100% ass-free and they promise to avoid the stink face. And what happens, of course, they do get stink face, at least Edge does, but it happens weirdly early. It happens in the first two minutes, which I wasn't expecting, but you know the promo was kept short. What did you think getting to see, plus the facial segment earlier on, what did you think of getting to see for the first time proper 
like heel dickhead Asian Christian. I just had a daft grin all the way through. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I was just like, I feel like I'm in the midst of watching something. It's not yet special, but the almost like the precursor to something special. I'm watching two very talented wrestlers come out of their shell and demonstrate some wonderfully goofy, geeky character characterization that is going to help make them the tremendous superstars they are. So I feel it's almost like celebrate celebrating the early days of something that you know is about to get really good so i i literally just sat there with the daftest smile on my face thinking this is going to get good and i'm happy with that this i i'm really excited to see what edge and christian do over the next year it's this is something for me to look forward to on smackdown and they are going to become highlights of the show yeah uh Michael Cole seems to explain it as, you know, fame going to their head. That's why they're suddenly becoming so arrogant. But I don't care really what the reason is for it, as long as we, we get it. And it, you know, more may it continue. But yeah, Rikishi, despite having no partner, seems to handle the tag team champions fairly easily on his own. You know, does the double splash in the corner. Ed takes the single face, but, you know, has pure rage of just getting the ass off his face. And he's going to have to annoy Janet again later on. Because it feels him enough to hit a spear on Christian. Non Christian on Rikishi, and then at least a two on one beatdown. Uh, and then they then end up going to the outside, but Edge, as he runs, Rikishi gets launched into the ring post. And uh, eventually, Rikishi somehow wins by count out because this wasn't one of those tagging, and it was just the two of them in at the one time. Kind of handicap match. They try to get the ring bell, uh, bring that into use to hit Rikishi with because that seems to be weirdly their weapon of choice at the minute. But thankfully, they would choose something better after, the, after a while because you know. I couldn't see WWE from one of pay-per-view called Tables, Ladders and Ring Bells. Uh, so, and then out comes Too Cool, who a weird side note, Miramis Sexamay's return on Raw. And uh, Too Cool cleanly beat the Hardys. Just throwing that out there, that's the thing that happened. Uh, they make the save, Scotty Toy even gets a chance to hit the worm. Uh, and Too Cool do a little dance to you know, cheer up the crowd uh, after they get the beat down on those dastardly Edge and Christian and you know, it's almost as if we were going to build to some sort of six-man tag so, down the line, but I can't think who Agent Christian could possibly team with somebody as equally good in the ring, but also as equally goofy and comedic on the mic. I don't think WF got anybody like that. Steve Blackman. Yeah, yeah, sure. The powerhouse trio of Edge Christian and Steve Blackman. Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna, they're going to have a tremendous uh, acronym group name, which is going to be Blackman Edge Christian, or as I like to call it, Team Beck. <laughs> um, that's one of the few positives to, to my feelings about this match. Um, you, probably, you probably remember me mentioning previously, um, I get really frustrated with handicap matches. I, it, the main event, different, different, re, different feelings in regards to that one. I can live with that, and I'll tell you why later on. I hate handicap matches that feature the tag team champions against a singles wrestler, which happens relatively too often for my liking. And what I dislike about that is that the tag team champions are supposed to be the best at working together as a team. 
and yet they can easily be beaten by a single wrestler. And for me, that always weakens the tag team division, which is really frustrating considering that you will probably never see a stronger division for WWF uh, apart from like maybe the early 90s or something like that. Because if you look at the list of teams that they've got who can contribute to matches you've got like edging christian the hardy boys the dudley boys you've got um new age outlaws tna you've got too cool you've got you technically got people like the headbangers who are still there head cheese are still there i mean these are eight literally rattled off the top of my head and i'm pretty sure there's another three or four teams that you can all utilize and the tag team division is probably at one of its strongest ever positions you are ever going to get and yet the tag team champions can still be sacrificed to a single star when you've got so many other wrestlers who could do that. Oh, put it in a tag team match. You've already done a tag team match. Have Do the six-man tag here. Makes sense from it. But apart, the, the, even though Wikishi only won by countout, so it's relatively kind to edging Christian, I still always hate champions losing matches let alone tag team champions losing a handicap match that should be their bread and butter and in, instead they just get jobbed out and it just it always frustrates me so i didn't enjoy this match as much as probably others would have i think the only benefits of it is the fact that edge and christian are actually really enjoyable as heels i thought Edge's crossbody attempt into the ring post was really painful looking and kind of makes sense why he couldn't get back into the ring. There's just the overall concept of it and booking decisions of it frustrates me too much for me to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just how they were going to pull this off because I wouldn't have minded them, but just yeah, Edge were going to get the win over Rikishi because it's, again, it is two on one. But I did you like this match? Like many matches on SmackDown are wrestled kind of in like two times the speed. Because like how quickly they went into the, the sink, during the sink phase again. Also, they didn't even explain why it was a handicap match because obviously they're annoyed at him and the big show because they did the sink faces on Raw, but they didn't say why they didn't they weren't having a tag rematch or why it was a handicap match. Like, like just one sentence to say, oh, they went to Vincent Manor or Stephanie and asked for a, a handicap match. That would have been just fine, but they didn't really explain. It just said, oh, a handicap match is happening now because Big Show's got another outfit he wants to try on later. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they do any excuse to have a damn handicap match because, as you know, they had a weird fetish for it in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, go backstage to a conversation between Stephanie and Tori. Uh, the audio quality being so bad, I couldn't make out what the fuck they were saying. They were just talking about money because uh, they wanted to use the vending machines, I think. Uh, that's what I gleaned from it. And then the, the Dudleys come over, they say, excuse me, and then Definitely, man, seemingly like, how dare you think you can talk to me? That seems to be her general demeanor and basically talks down to both of them for what they do to women and call them pathetic for putting women through tables. And really, it's this conversation that should be had with the Dudleys because putting women through tables is a heel action, but because they're being talked to by Stephanie Man, one of the biggest heels, and the Dudleys are so popular, it's coming off as if, like, oh, Stephanie's being and Tori are being me and the Dudleys. Oh, we can't wait for them to get their comeuppance. And, Dudley, and Bubba gets that look in his eye that he usually gets after putting a woman through a table. It looks so much less in his eyes that I'm glad the camera did not pan down. 
Mm, you're probably going to find out that he could have um, accidentally pressed the button for a can of Coke from the machine just by turning to the left. Um, <laughs> it's good to know that even in the year 2000, Stephanie McMahon can still emasculate any male while defending women. Because she's not. She's really not. She's just going out of her way to make someone else look inadequate in comparison to her. And she's too unlikable to be on her side. So even though technically what she's saying is right, she's just too much of a dick. So therefore, you'd rather support the Dudley boys who just want to put women through tables. It was a very confusing time in the year 2000. It was. Although Stephanie somewhere would think, hmm, why don't you watch the way thing? And I enjoyed, you know, emasculating that man. Maybe I should do it some more. But <laughs> we move on uh, to a tag team match player uh, as the Hardys are taking on TNA and a match and a match basically says, we don't know what we're doing with either of you right now, so just wrestle each other. Uh, and, you know, TNA are, are here without Trish because she's selling what happened to her at Backlash. And, you know, TNA do not get as big a reaction as they usually do because Trish isn't with them. So what we get is an honest reaction to Destin Albert from the crowd to let people know how they actually think about them. Because even when they came out on Raw, there was still a bit of a pop, and then which quickly died down because they realised Trish wasn't with them. I, uh, my notes actually um, were for this match. No Trish Stratus as she was powerbombed through a table on war, which means zero reaction when Test and Albert come out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Just, unfortunately, the best part of them is the valet because Trish is pretty damn awesome and is already um, getting people's attention because of how damn good she is. But just really puts into context how devoid of any interest Test and Albert are by themselves because, unfortunately, they're a bit bland. And, and to say that the crowd have such a lack of interest in them because, you know, the Test wasn't involved with the McMahon, that's surely, like, usually when they put somebody in with the McMahons, that's supposed to be, like, your catapult to, you know, the next level of this should be you made in your career. But somehow, he's, after that, it's, it's fallen so much that, you know, you can't even get a pop for a match with the Hardys without having a female valet with them. And you know, it's not a bad match or anything. And I'll say with this, what I said about the the interaction between Malenko and Scotty Dehotty and that there's something to be said about having a, a match with one person between, there's something to be said about having a match where one person is really over and the other person isn't because basically when the not over person is the heel because that means when the person who's over makes their baby face comeback the crowd are even louder, which they are whenever the Hardys actually do anything in this match, but to start off you've got Matt being overpowered by Albert but then they do this weird chase sequence around the outside of the ring, which allows Jeff to get the blind tag and surprise Albert. They hardly set the poetry in motion. Albert looks like uh, Albert looks like a separate version of the last ride. The Undertaker saying a home thing of a new finisher, thinking I'm taking that boy, that's mine now. Uh, there's a really cool double team move by TNA with a kind of spin around. I think it's Jeff and Jack have a double face buster looking move. Uh, Test does it uh, with a twist of fate and then at one point uh, well it looks like Test has the referee where he wants him, the referee's too busy with Albert so Jeff hits a swat on the back of Test, rolls Matt over Jeff, uh, Jeff and Matt get the win but even without Trish apparently 
TNA are a big deal to somebody because they have to get their heat back with a beatdown afterwards. And Tess shows the one move that he can do well, which is why he keeps doing it, which is the, the diving elbow. Like Tess is like, I don't do much, but what I do do, I do very well, including this elbow. It's a, unfortunately, it's no Cactus Jack elbow, but it's a good elbow. Um, was it just me who felt that when Albert was chasing Matt around the ring, Jeff looked like he was um, pissed as a fart? <laughs> laying over the top top rope um and i'm just looking at it to myself oh that's a bit awkward yeah <laughs> uh-uh. um i this may surprise you um i hated the ending <laughs> absolutely hated the finish um because so you bet so you've got it basically so when the test goes for the pump handle slam and then this, uh, so for some reason decides to do like a British bulldog s walk around so he can get as close to Jeff as possible. Jeff, I swear, actually tags Matt. That's what it looks yeah. like. He, he tags I, I him. That as well. Yeah. But Theodore Long doesn't notice it as the referee. So then you have it that Jeff hits the Swanton bottom and Matt gets the pin because Albert is distracting the ref. But it shouldn't have counted because Matt wasn't actually the legal man if you go by the fact that Jeff should, te- technically did a tag. So this means that technically Jerry the King Lawler is correct in saying that Theodore Long made a mistake as a referee, but not the mistake that Lawler is actually referring to. And that, to me, makes it a bad ending, which is disappointing because everything up to them was fine. I could live with that. It was all good. If they'd actually, if if Jeff hadn't gone for the tag, or if they'd had it that the tag had gone through and he got the pin instead, I would have been happy. But that ending made the referee look in, inept because he missed what was an obvious tag, and it's just—I don't know whether it was intentional or and it was too subtle for a lot of people to realise, or whether it was just a mistake. But it causes an issue. That is becoming that becomes even more apparent when you connect it to the fact that so many referees were either making bad decisions or dodgy mistakes or something like that. There was just it was frustrating. I very frustrating for me, and it really put a a, um, a bad reflection upon the end of that match. I mean, I see what the ending is, is that you kind of see it coming because like. Tess is lying on top of Matt for so long, and they're along so oblivious to it because he's dealing with Albert. So, you know, you, you could tell Jeff was going to appear somewhere, and then it pans out. There's Jeff on the top rope, uh, to do his swanton. So you can kind of see that come. But yeah, I, I, I didn't put it in my notes, but I could just sworn I saw Jeff reach out and try and tag Matt. I think they tried to play off that he tried to like pull Matt out, out of the move and get him, like trying to help him, but he wasn't actually tagging. But you know, I don't even know if the ref saw it, but either way, it probably wasn't part of the match. But yeah, TNA get their, you know, their heat back afterwards. Uh, speaking of referees, we have Jonathan Coachman backstage interviewing Earl Hebner, and you know, he's asked Coach asked him how he feels about having to rest his first ever match. You know, here in his hometown in Richmond, he goes, "How the hell do you think I feel? I can't exactly say no to my family. I got, got my family to think about. I can't be. I'm not a wrestler." He, he says the word wrestler which uh, JL will make sure he make fun of later on. And then Jonathan Coachman with the biggest fucking guilt trip I've ever heard. Basically like, 
what happens if you get pinned tonight? How would you feel about being single-handedly responsible for The Rock losing the WF Championship? Like, Jesus, do I lay it on a bit more thick there, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, thanks, coach. You know, I, you should obviously never work for the Samaritans because you would have a higher suicide rate than the fucking Golden Gate Bridge. It's ridiculous. Um, I, I kind of like Earl Hebner's speech uh, or his promo in that it, it, it's not a great speech, I'll admit. It's 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 not a great speech, but he's not a talker. But it feels authentic. So there was elements of it I liked. I think that if they had edited it a little bit better, it could have been really good because he sort of like went a little bit too long with it. However, see, a coach's guilt trip was totally worth watching. And Hebner is right when he says like, what, how can I provide for my family if something happens to me? It's true. And it actually normalizes the difference between wrestlers and non-wrestlers. Saying like, yeah, I may be in the ring all the time, but I'm not capable enough to be able to do this. And it really helps. It subtly reinforces the fact that being a wrestler is not for everyone. So I liked that to some degrees. I was very happy with that. Um... And it just, it, I think it really helped with the build-up. It made me even more interested than I already was with the guilt trip that was happening. And if you think about it, something that I only just realized, I'm pretty sure this was round about the time that David Arquette won the WCW title. Specifically, with the method of having it, that if either wrestler on the tag team gets pinned they lose the championship. So that's how David Arquette ends up winning it because he pinned Eric Bischoff instead. And for a brief moment, I was like, oh, wow, that was that's actually a really interesting touch. Imagine the Heat, Triple H, or even X-Pac, or definitely not Road Dogg. He, 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 he's not going to, but Triple H or <laughs> X-Pac winning the WWF championship because they pin Earl Hebner, and it protects the rock. There are some really fascinating story developments that could occur out of that. So the longer they kept on selling it, the more I was getting interested and wanting to see what would happen. And I'm, I have to admit, by the end, I was a little bit surprised how invested I was in seeing how this main event would play out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good speech from Herder, but then again, he's not meant, he's not paid to talk. Uh, <laughs> Then we have uh, a very interesting and very short match. Uh, actually, calling it a match was generous because not even they, I think they say all things that they're not even sure if the bell rang. It was barely we an have, entrance. We have Bill Buchanan taking on Shonan the Barbarian, whose music plays for a good couple minutes while the while the commentators are just talking about anything else before realizing, hey, music's played. Is there a match happening? And then out comes the big show with this weird Viking helmet, these furry like these funny pants, everything with long black wig, and and then Tony Chimmel announced him as from Weighing Parts Unknown, Weighing Unknown. Bet you haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> Just this casual uh, Tony Chimmel way, and he called him Shonan the Barbarian. Uh, I'm sure somebody there will say that this is a reference to somebody. 
out there. Maybe it's the parts unknown thing. Maybe a warrior thing. I don't know. But because uh, you know the company can be very petty at times. I don't know. Maybe this is just Gemma having a laugh because it was a very long taping. And then Joe gets on the microphone for a short promo where he's trying to, you know, replicate a line from the Conan movies where he's like, I will crush my enemies and watch them crumble before my feet. I am Sean and the Barbarian. And an interesting mix of accents. A little bit of Scottish, a little bit of Austrian, a little bit of Welsh in there as well. All, the all, all offensive. All offensive, let's be honest. All the- it's almost a record for how many countries you can offend in one... Like, and it's just a few seconds, so kudos to you, Big Show. <laughs> I think the last time that many countries were um, insulted by one wrestler, um, Al Snow was the European champion. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I know that this is awful, but I can't help but like Big Show doing this. <laughs> when Michael Cole late one goes... Actually, I think he's been really entertaining. I'm like, yeah, Michael, you're right. And then I'm like, ah, shit. I agree with Michael Cole. What's going on here? <laughs> but I, I what, made it, what made this, what made this funny in particular for me was just how serious Big Show was playing it off. He comes out with a big serious look on his face, and then he, he does this, the promo. I will crush my enemies before me. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? This is, this is meant to be funny, but I think. He's just playing it so straight. And this is the man who less than a week ago was coming here doing the full-on Hulk Hogan mannerisms and making sure to get Hogan's voice right by saying dude as much as possible. I just, it's just, I, I can't help but enjoy it. I th- to be fair, I think I was put in a good mood by the fact that Tony Chimmel's line about bet you haven't heard that in a long time. I I cracked up. I so didn't expect that, and I basically burst out laughing. And then after that, I was I was basically ready for the rest of it, and I was go- I was going to be laughing probably regardless. I couldn't help it. I was done for, and it's just it was actually enjoyable. Do you know what? I'm glad they didn't have a match because they didn't need the match. It really <laughs> was essential. And to be fair. It's not like what they showed us in the match was any fucking good, was it? No, no it was not. Like he tried to immediately. Also, Big Show had a sword. They might as well use the sword because you know wouldn't have done wouldn't have changed things the slightest bit. But he's he's got his sword. Uh, bloody Bill's got his uh, nightstick. He tries to use it as a weapon because uh, like he, he knocks shows like wig or something off, and then that turns the Big Show. You know, change like oh. Oh, he's having a good time, but when you get him angry, oh, he's a he's an unstoppable monster. So I put my notes. Don't make the show angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> uh, and then multiple choke slams, and Big Show just wanders off, leading even poor Billy Cannon to nurse his injuries. And he's got to hurry up because uh, he's finally going to end that feud with Kane that got that one or two segments on Raw, and we're all looking for the climax and the culmination of that feud, which is going to happen at Insurrection. <laughs> oh. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about you. Um, I was curious about the fact that the referee never tried to take Bo Buchanan's weapon away and then realized it was because the match hadn't started yet. And then I realized actually that means he should have tried to take it off him even more because of the fact the match hadn't started yet. 
And this was round about the time I was actually starting to feel sorry for the referees because it felt like they were go the booking was basically going out of their way to make them look like the worst referees in the fucking world. Like pretty, pretty much like at this rate, you wouldn't trust them to count a uh, count a dice, let alone a, a pinfall. It's just like I just. Oh, it was getting mildly depressing to some degrees at this rate. And I was just like, that was a match that never happened um, with a character that I didn't care about in Bobby Cannon, uh, with booking that was very questionable. And I felt like, really, the match did more harm than good if you'd literally just had the big show in the backstage uh, skit. I think that would have been much better and still done the same job in preparation for later one when he has his scene with Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. But then we go into a segment with Vince and, and Hebner. Basically, Vince is trying to intimidate Hebner ahead of the match later on. And then we have Crash Holly, a uh, poor, oblivious Crash Holly, who did actually uh, defend the hardcore title in a, not an official match, but also it's defending 24 so He fought Steve Blackman on Raw for the title. While he was having an interview, basically talking about how paranoid he's becoming because, you know, everybody's out to get him. Uh, and just from off camera, a bin flies into frame and hits him because <laughs> Steve Blackman's attacked him. Uh, they're in Baltimore, so he really brawled to the, the uh, back into the arena. At one point, Crash grabs one of uh, Blackman's weapons and tries to mock him with the same poses. And when he runs to the crowd, as a member of the Baltimore Ravens in the crowd, who then tries to roll up Crash unsuccessfully, and Crash manages to escape. But Crash, you know, he's going around, oh, he's happy he didn't have to defend the hardcore title tonight. So what the fuck are you doing at the arena? But, like, <laughs> surely if you want to avoid, like, I know people have went to your hotel and everything or attacked you at the hardcore, but surely the last place you should want to go as hardcore champion, if you want to think everybody's out to get you, is to an arena where wrestlers are, and more importantly, where referees are. To, uh... But then he goes, he finds this weird basketball thing set up, he throws a basketball and it wildly goes off the other direction, he kind of looks around to kind of, in a way that looks, he looks around to say, I hope no one saw that and then he sees a bouncy house, doesn't even question it and, uh, and almost a Peter Griffin-like level of stupidity, gets into the bouncy castle uh, and where he's jumped by Malenko, and I just, I, this has to be you know, referenced here, this has to be addressed neither one of these two took off their fucking shoes when they went into this bouncy house Outrageous. We're not animals we're not animals. We live in a society. Have some decency. It was. It. So I'm thinking to myself. I. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read out my notes. I think that's so much easier. If Crash Holly is stupid enough to stop at a fun house, he deserves to be caught out by Dean Malenko. Just the. It was just absolutely ridiculous the fact that. He has this opportunity to escape and have a night off from being attacked. And yet, like the dog from Up suddenly being distracted by a squirrel, he just like... Starts looking at the bloody fun house. And then is confused as to why he gets attacked. And it's just like, you can't feel any sympathy for someone when they're that stupid. But, worryingly... He then has it that he has a relatively clever moment where when he leaves the fun house, 
he moves the chair away so that when Malenko gets out, he trips over. And I realized it turns out that when Crash Holly relies on instinct, he's a genius. When he has time to think, he's a fucking idiot. So he's basically an idiot savant. And I never thought I would use those words to describe Crash Holly. <laughs> you know, if you gave me like, a, like three or five guesses as to who was going to jump Crash, I did not think it would be Dean Malenko. Well, he's already a champion. I have a weird thing about people who are already champions going after other titles unless there's some sort of storyline reason for them to. But Scott, like you could just... have given me 30 or 50. I probably still wouldn't have chose Dean Malenko. I would have said six of the fucking Godfather's hoes before I would have said Dean Malenko because they've actually won the championship. Dean Malenko going for the hardcore championship makes about... Well, I was going to say as much sense as um, Santino Morella going for the women's championship, but we all know how that fucking ended. I would have said Terry Reynolds or May Young before I said Demolenko, because, well, yeah, he's a light heavyweight champion, which I almost threw about until Michael Cole made a reference to it. And he's just come off the best match, or at least one of the best matches of that title's legacy, or lineage, uh, whatever word you want to describe. And... Now he's randomly saying to go after the hardcore title when out of all the radicals, it's been Saren's the one that's been going after the title. So it was weird to see him there. And then, yeah, he just completely twats it in a moment that would, wouldn't look out of place on you being framed when he comes to come out of the has to come out of the house as the, realize the chair has been taken away. They brawl to the arena where it looks like Michael's gotten the better of Crash finally, but then out comes Saren who hits a brain buster on Crash. Then there's a then they get into a bit of a you know scuffle between the two of them. The certain Malenko crash then uses a bin lot, uses a trash can to get a roll up and retain the title, which is which just confused me because Crash was trying to go for pins as well. Like, why are you going for pins? This is not a sanctioned match. If it's if it's in a backstage thing, surely they have to pin you and you just have to escape. So why didn't you just run away when certain Malenko were arguing? But either way, he pins one of them, uh, runs away while certain Malenko start. They attack each other, and I would be sad for this if I gave a shit about the Radicals, but really, uh, uh, what little care I have for the Radicals goes on Eddie and Benoit, so the two members of a faction, the two members I care about at least of a faction I couldn't care about are arguing, potentially breaking up. Oh dear, I'm crying inside. Yeah, it's a very Scottish thing to do, cry inside, because you can't display emotions on the outside. Um, <laughs> I... I <laughs> I have to admit that when Perry Saturn came out, my this is my next note, okay? Perry Saturn is stupid in that not only did he break up Dean Malenko's pin, he also took the time to remove his shirt before trying to, cat, uh, to pin Crash. He makes Crash Holly look intelligent. <laughs> like the fact, like you saw, did you notice it though? The fact that he actually went out of his way to remove his shirt before he did anything. And I'm just like... No, go for the pin, you fucking idiot. What is wrong with you? Uh, it's just, oh, God. No no wonder he's never won a title. He's clearly, like, he's been working a lot on, on his physique that he has not had a lot of time to actually read. So that's why he's more bronze than brains. So, you know, of course he's going to have to show it off. Otherwise, what's the point of wasting all that time in the gym? Uh, for Perry Saturn. This is where you try to go inside Perry Saturn's mind, which is a very dangerous place to be in. Like being in being Bijan Malkovich. 
Yeah, but probably with uh, less likable people inside telling you what to do. Um, I just, <laughs> God, what the? I, I, if this is if this is Perry Saturn being booked well, oh, I'm definitely curious to see when he gets booked badly. <laughs> I don't even think he can call this badly or well. This is just this is just Perry. And then in a weird move, they start this backstage segment. And then just as Shane walks away, uh, before coming back, they cut, they cut to commercial, so then they have to show you all this admin backstage during the commercial break. But just like, because Shane knows a bit where he walks away and then comes back to be a meeting at the big show, because c- of the fact that he walked away right before a commercial break, it just made it look like the most wasteful like segment they could ever have done, where he just says, what did you think? And Shane just buggers off, cut to black. <laughs> but what actually happens is a very important moment for the big show at this point. Uh, I've... I've, I've Condense it into one simple sentence, which is uh, Shane makes the big show cry, where Shane talks about basically gives some thoughts that he should have given the very next night after WrestleMania and not waited till like a month later. But he says, Oh, he said, Oh, what do you think? You know, I'm entertaining with my new, you know, my impressions and everything. And Shane just goes, Like, I think you really let me down to WrestleMania. I mean, so you were the first man eliminated in the main event and the four elimination, and now you're here going Hollywood trying to entertain people. You're making a fool of yourself, and he calls Big Show. Now he gets shave and get all of them. A unmotivated, lazy slob. He calls him an embarrassment. And he says that nobody will ever take him seriously because he doesn't deserve it. And then he walks away, and you get close up. Big Show for all his faults here. He can cry on cue like the best of them. You know he is a very good crier. And that should not be something you say about a seven-foot-tall giant. But, yeah, like, he starts to cry just as they cut away. And even Michael Coles were like, oh, he's made the big, looks like big shoulders. He was going to cry. And, you know, but really, Shane should have done this after WrestleMania. So I don't know why he waited. And let Big Show run around and pretend to be, like, Rikishi and Fat Bastard and Hulk Hogan for a month. But also, given the time period and given... Uh, that's for a while in the 2000s, Big Show will be on and off TV, going to back to OVW. This felt like Shane was being, that, Vin, that Vince McMahon was speaking through his son to basically say to Big Show, why are you so, why are you so shit? I pay good money to get you from WCW. Why are you not good? <laughs> I am very conflicted because some, some of Shane's words um, were f- were very harsh like if you said if you said that to your friend they probably would not be your friend very much longer afterwards but what gets lost in that is the fact that there are some really legitimate points that he brings up especially in regards to wrestlemania the timing of it is a little bit strange it is stuff that you would like you said you would have thought that he would have brought up way before now um it's just it's a very strange time to do it but there's a difference between him having a go and then being needlessly cruel and this is what it sort of like ends up being and i do think it makes the big show look very sympathetic you're not really going to want to have it on a regular basis that your seven foot two giant is his best quality is he can cry on cue unless he's supposed to be one of the new free stooges and is getting paid really big bucks for it. But I, 
regards to if it really was Vince McMahon having it, that this is what I really think about you, my initial reaction would be, was, would be well, you booked me so shit that within a month of me appearing, um, you dropped me out to Stone Cold Steve Austin on a random episode of War and had me battling to be the special guest referee of the main event at WrestleMania. I think no one the big show just wants to entertain himself. It's not like he's being booked any good. Um, and he's actually getting reactions. It's just, it's a strange situation uh, overall, but it it did make me interested in seeing what's going to happen from here because Shane basically ripped him to shreds and it was a case of whether or not is, is Big Show going to bounce back and start demonstrating why Shane believed him in all that time or is it going to backfire on Shane? Who's to say? You know, I think it's a bit awkward watching it because you got to think, given what we know now about you know, Big Show's early years and, you know, he said trolls with his weight and, you know, the times where they push him and then they don't push him, uh, where it feels like there's a lot of truth to what they're saying and that, you know, he did have some problem, like he was accused of having an active problem when he came out of the company, probably because the previous place I worked for, they made him the world champion, his first fucking match, so that'll do that to you. Mm. Uh, so... I did feel like there, would be, there was some truth to what they were saying and this is how they really felt coming through. Uh, and I was interested in where they go from here with this because you know, the ball's on Shane, by the way. The idea that he's saying all this to the big show and it's not even, doesn't even seem to consider the fact that this guy is more than twice your size and over five bills, 500 pounds. This guy, you saying this shit to him, he could easily rip your head off for saying this, but he knows for a fact that big show won't do anything about it and Big Show doesn't, he just stands there and he starts crying. Uh, and it also gives the context to a segment from a few weeks ago with uh, with Angle, where they set Angle up for a tag match with Big Show as his partner, and he sits to, to, Big Show, to Shane and Triple H backstage laughing, where it seemed like, uh, well, I think they, it was implied, but I think it kind of confirms that basically, they're not laughing with you, Big Show, they're all laughing at you. And then eventually Shane's like, are you, are you still going through this thing? I thought this was a phase a few weeks then you go back to being a monster like why are you still doing this why are you such a lazy why are you so lazy basically yeah it's um it's the fact that shane says all of it to his face demonstrates the lack of fear that big show now brings out in people because he's being even though he has these anger moments every now and again when people piss him off the fear factor about him has completely subsided. So it's not even really that surprising that Shane's willing to say this to his face because it's re- it's actually a very clever character beat that shows the position of the two. The fact that at one point Shane picked the big show because he thought he was the biggest, most terrifying bastard out there who could win. And now the big show is just some guy. It doesn't matter. He's no longer the guy that Shane thought he was. And it really creates an interesting character beat between the two of them that to some degrees, I'm curious to see how they play it. But also the other part of me having seen how (sighs) Big Show regularly gets booked has me thinking this probably won't end well. Mm -hmm. Then, it gets better because we're going into our main event. We get a quick interview with Kevin Kelly interviewing The Rock and Earl Hebner. 
and uh, Barrow basically, you know, he shows no fear. He's not doesn't care that also he's who's been teamed with or how many points he's got. He's ready to just go out there and defend the title. He, he kind of preference, you know, makes reference to the speech that Ben talked about earlier. You know, they give me liberty, give me strength. Goes, well, I say, give me Road Dog, give me X Pac, let me give me Triple H. All the the ball, turn that somebody sideways, stay out there, their candy asses. You know, Rock Mingo gets all those beats, you know, the Rock Bingo card. <laughs> uh, and then we go into our main event, Triple H, to be fair, he does his full entrance, even the water spit, while still having the arm cast on, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, Earl Hefner having this classic, I'm not meant to be wrestling gear, and that he just has an old WWF attitude shirt on. Mm. Uh, and I would say, Rock does take it to the road dog to start off with, but eventually it's a three-on-one beat there, and Ego Cole does make the point, you know, Rock's stand if he does, stand if he doesn't, because either he stays in the ring, gets, you know, takes on, tries to take on all three uh, ones, which isn't advised, or he tags in a non-wrestler who will easily probably get beat up. Uh, despite being the first man, he'll easily get beat up and probably cost the Rock his title, so the Rock's in a, a weird position. He does at one point grab Triple H's arms behind his back and allow Earl Hebner to hit him with get a cheap shot in, which the crowd does actually pop for, one of the loudest pops of the night. Uh, and then Earl Hebner once or twice tries to come in and yell at the referee for not doing his job correctly, as if also a fellow referee. But that does allow Vince and Shane McMahon to get in cheap shots on the rock and does like do a disservice to the rock as well. Uh, and then eventually Hebner is left on his own uh, three on one against everybody else because uh, like Xbox and Road Dog went to come into the ring everybody's like fuck that he goes to walk up the ramp but then Triple H blocks his exit but the Rock eventually manages to recover and make the save also I love when they, they rip off Triple H's cast and Triple H Max starts hitting the Rock with his bad arm and then Jerry Lawler cries as a medical that Triple H has recovered so quickly and uh, there he goes immediately like hold on a second <laughs> um well, first of all, the most important thing, we can now confirm that the official main event for this pay- for this show was Shonan the Barbarian versus Bo Buchanan. And wouldn't you just have loved to have that be your main event? Wouldn't you want to pay extra money for that? Um, I mean, you could I, have like, been booked twice. Yes, it would have been yeah, because it did officially start. You can't even call that the main event. So I'd say... Like, weirdly, our main event is technically TNA versus Bloody the Hardys, which equally I would not probably want to pay for, even though I like all four guys. So there we go. We had three unofficial matches that we shouldn't have gotten. So you can't say you don't get value for money. Well, not if this, not if those matches are the are the standard we should expect. <laughs> not exactly a gift. Oh, thank you for giving me Bo Buchanan with a baton, getting the crap beaten out of him by... Uh, Shonan the Barbarian, who doesn't even swing his sword until he goes backstage. And no, that is not a euphemism. Um, you sure? <laughs> I'm not too sure, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I have to say that punch that... We, can't, we, can't, we, can't, we can't officially can confirm or deny that he calls his genitals the sword and the stones. <laughs> no, but um, ho- hopefully he keeps it regularly sheathed uh, in order to prevent um, the spread of moss across the rocks. So, um, oh, moving on, I do, I do, I do think that Earl Hebner probably punched Triple H with all of his force because that actually looked like quite a strike. Um, and like you say, got a hell of a pop. Um, 
I love The Rock's intelligence during this ma- uh, during this match because it's this little moment, such so as like when he knows the road dog is about to break up the pins, so he moves away just in time to allow X uh, Pat to accidentally take all of the brunt of the damage. And to me, that was that's the sort of thing where I start thinking to myself, "Oh, I could see The Rock win in this match because he utilizes his intelligence." In order to get, uh, in order to survive, and be able to take down the opponent and that sort of thing, and that that that's different to the handicap match, where it was basically one big bastard taking on um, a tag team. This is more about someone intelligently using the numbers to his own advantage. Um, I do wonder whether El Hebner. Uh, instructed Mike Kyoda was the equivalent of a backseat driver where your dad is telling <laughs> you how you're supposed to drive. It just like, dad, I'm driving. Leave me alone. All right. We can't all drive like you. God. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, but it, it is getting, it is getting fun. I have to say. And, I have thoughts regarding the ending of the match, which I'll get to when it comes to it. So please continue. But so far, this is, this is actually really good fun. I, I just really love the idea, just the idea of Mike just trying to you know, do his job, just Earl from the from the uh, from the apron, just like Mike, 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 <laughs> Mike. What? You missed something. Like he's not holding the tag rope, Mike. <laughs> Like when Homer's yelling at Flanders when Flanders is trying to coach the football game, like Flander, Kyoda, what? Uh, matches that way. Uh, stupid, sexy Mike Kyoda. <laughs> but yeah, uh, really, because uh, also you got all the heels on the outside. You got Patterson, Briscoe, Shane, Triple H, and uh, not Triple H, uh, Vince. Uh, who comes to then randomly save? Uh, back up the baby faces, but Chris Jericho who then gets into it with Triple H, and then Vince gets grabs uh, Jericho. So then Jericho starts swinging punches at Vince McMahon. <laughs> that's something you got to see a lot of. And I'm sure, like, like technically he's still feuding with Stephanie and that because you know they will have regular appearances against each other because Jericho can't stop but you know make comments about Stephanie and her proclivities, uh, which is funny in 2000. But when he makes those same jokes at Paige Van Sant on AEW, it just sounds like that creepy uncle at a party that you don't want to sit next to. He gets into it with Vince, but like I'm sure there's like a 30 second vignette you could have placed in earlier in the night to just remind us that you know he's got you know Ben Moore that he's feuding with, but he's also technically got the McMahon's and that. So it would just helped with his involvement here. Back in the ring, uh, Earl Hebner low blow his X Pac uh, while X Pac was going to use a chair on the rock. Rock hits the rock bottom on X Pac for the win, uh, which then leads to a big long brawl segment on the say so, you know Triple H takes out Jericho briefly. Uh, Rock gets beat up, as does Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner gets forced to watch the Rock getting beaten up. I then checked the timestamp on the network. It said I had a full five minutes left of the episode. So, like, Jesus, how long is this beatdown going to last for? Like, if anyone's going to make the save, they're really taking their sweet arse time with this. Because <laughs> then Rikishi is the first to try and make the save, slowly but surely limping his way down to the ring. So, it probably explains why it took so long. Because by this point, Earl Hebner's bloody Earl Hebner's taking a pedigree. So, like, Lads, you're cutting it fucking, you're a bit late, aren't you? Uh, then the big show makes the say, which was an extent that Shane said to him, 
And then Shane just stands there waiting for his punch rather than just getting the fuck out of there like he should have. And then out come the Dudley boys with a table. They clear the ring. Briscoe and Patterson get left behind. So Briscoe gets powerbuffed through the table. And Earl Hebner takes a stretcher out of the arena. Because of course he does. Because the first one of the first things we saw on the show was Earl Hebner being introduced in his hometown. So of course one of the final things we should see is Earl Hebner. This is the Earl Hebner variety show. This is basically what um, it would it will be like in 2003 if we're watching war episodes with Triple H doing his Reign of Terror, where Earl uh, um, Hebner is just everywhere. He starts the show, he finishes the show, uh, he appears several times through the show, he gets the big move that gets the victory for the show. Uh, it's just all, all, all of that stuff. Um, I think that the ending of this match is excellent i think rock's comeback is brilliant using the momentum to wipe out triple h x pack road dog spine bust shane knock out the stooges then you got jericho appearing and fighting triple h and vince then you got hebner with the low blow and it's just it's it's basically probably in the space of like 30 seconds but it's just that momentum of like once the rock gets one out then he follows through and he can get the next one and he gets the next one. And then you have someone else come in and you have all this madness and you're just like, everything's going on. And it's that situation where you've got it, that the main wrestler for the, the handicap team, so to say the DX team is distracted with one attack. You've also got it that, one of one of their members has already been wiped out, and then you've got it that one of the um, ones who is battling the handicap cheats, and then the Rock is able to get the victory, and all these sort of things came together in a way that could make it believable enough for them to actually win the match, and it's it really fun to watch. It was it was a really fun main event. Now. Technically, it should have been a disqualification because of Chris Jericho, but I didn't even think of that until afterwards. And that's because you get quite caught up in the heat of it because the crowd are into everything. They're popping so much. And it sh- it shows how easily it could be missed. And it was one of those situations where I could excuse the referee missing it. Um, it is a case of where if they hadn't gone overboard with the bad booking of all the referees early on, this could have been enough that you could go, Oh, hang on. I see what's going on here. Um, it, it is obviously something that's going to come into fruition over the next couple of weeks, having something different occur, etc. But to me, this was a fun main event that perfectly culminated a fascinating story that you intrigued in for the majority of the night. Um, it put the rock over really well in that he was able to successfully battle really up to about nine different opponents in a believable manner. And I think that Earl Hebner was probably used perfectly. You have basically, he gets one big punch, one big low blow and he gets to celebrate the victory, and it worked. This was this this was so well booked that it makes it even more frustrating the mistakes that they make with other things. Because when they can do as well as they do with this one, it makes you wonder why can't you do it elsewhere? 
Um, but overall, I thought it was great. And the aftermath, for me, it's not just a bit of fun to watch seeing all these wrestlers come out, but also it's a bit more insanity that is showing the uh, the repercussions of the McMahon Helmsy's arrogance. The fact that they've been bullying and picking on people, and now they're getting to the point that it's going to start backfiring on them. They're going to start having repercussions where people have had enough. And you can really feel that this is the beginning of something. So it's a really good main event with with an even better ending that perfectly sets up the feature itself. I want to watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. I should also make a mention here, Raw 2003 will be not, I will not be watching Raw in 2003 because by that point, thankfully, we'll be well into the start of the brand split era. So it means I don't have to watch Raw's or Raw's pay-per-views. So I don't have to watch uh, Hell in a Cell between Triple H and Kevin Nash, even with McFoley as which manages to be somehow very boring, even with uh, the Hell in a Cell and McFoley as the referee. So uh, thank you. I will not be watching that. Uh, I really enjoyed the main event. I had the same kind of shenanigans you expect. It's very similar in a way to like the ending of Backlash, where you have all these like shenanigans, but you know, not done the overly booked Russell way to the point where you're numb to it and you don't care anymore. And also goes to show that you know it's not just like the Rock and a couple of people that are you know, against McMahon's and that like they have made this regime has now made a lot of enemies now like. You just had Shane who just pissed off a giant. You had the Dudley boys now gunning for them. You've got Jericho, The Rock, Kishi, and with Kishi they would also come too cool. So they've made quite a few big players on the babyface side of the roster are now standing up against this regime that's been made to look like so dominant for months now, which is really good to see like them actually, you know, trying to give them some sort of commitment, even if that is an old man getting put through a table. But Pierre Briscoe will show us just how hardcore he can be in the coming months. So I look forward to seeing that. Uh, I'll, I have some thoughts about this SmackDown overall, but you know, since it's the first time in a while, I'll defer to you, Carl. To, Carl? Uh, I'm thinking ahead. I'm recording quite a few things this week. Uh, you know, Carl, Carl, wouldn't, Carl wouldn't miss a week. Carl wouldn't miss a backlash review. Uh, well, it's, um, fuck Carl, alright? Fuck Carl. <laughs> this is Sam here now, and you have to deal with that, okay? It's always awkward when you accidentally yell at, yell at your ex's name. Uh, yeah, so yeah you, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, I'll let you give your oral thoughts on this episode of SmackDown, your rating, and what would you recommend people watch back if you could recommend one thing? Okay, so the positives... I think this episode starts off excellently. The title change instantly hooks the crowd. It's a really good match for wrestling fans to enjoy. And within the second segment, you've got an intriguing storyline for the entire episode that invests people and will make people want to actually like they'll be they'll be calling up their mates saying you need to watch this episode. This could be this this could be brilliant. This is what's already happened, etc. Um, I felt the mixed tag match continued the momentum, which was good. Uh, the 24-7 division match was harmless fun as always. It always puts a little smile on my face. The main event was hot as hell. The crowd were popping for everything. And The Rock just looked fantastic. He, he not only it, 
it's easy to be a champion, but he looks, feels, sounds, is a real champion. He is go dust at the moment. Not Dustin Rose. He is like proper <laughs> go dust that you're just like everything you put him in, he he makes better. If anyone else had been in this match, I don't think it would have been as impressive. Um, but he is so fucking good at it. Uh, the ending was insane, and it also set up some really intriguing feuds, feuds going forward. So it's very successful in regards to that. The negatives for me is that I feel the Angle Hardcore Holly match is a bit meh. It's, it's like, apart from giving Angle another victory uh, and showing a bit of intelligence with his knee, it doesn't really add much. Uh, and I think the booking's a little bit strange with it. I didn't like the tag team champions being in a handicap match and losing it as well. As you know, um, the Hardy boys versus TNA was okay until the finish. And that finish really put a bad dampener on it. Uh, Shonan versus Bo Buchanan was literally only worthwhile because of the Shane speech. And to be honest, you don't need that match for that Shane speech. So you could discard that completely and you would miss nothing. Basically, the middle section sags really badly, and it seemingly becomes an afterthought. Like they thought, like basically the bookers went, "Let's get a really good start and let's have a really good ending." And that forty to fifty minutes in the middle is bad. It's it's disappointing, and the worst part um, is that seemingly intentional, horrendous booking of the referees, which. Either they made mistakes or they get physically involved, and that ends up um, distracting from the matches themselves. And at the end of the day, you're not there to see the referees being the main character. So that, I don't think, was good. Overall, I would say it's a disappointing episode, mainly because it started so strongly and they couldn't maintain that momentum if they could have sustained that all the way through i legitimately believe this could have been a classic episode the star and the ending was pure attitude era mixed with the work rate that you would expect of the 2000s and was really good really great standards the rest of it was so disappointing in comparison because of that and it makes it a very so-so episode match recommendation um Oh, um, thumbs up for the beginning and the end, thumbs down for the middle. So literally start it, get to the end of the promo, cut to the main event. That's all you need. Um, match recommendation from a wrestling point of view, I would say the intercontinental title match because if for six, consider it's only six and a half minutes. They, they put together a really solid match and really good fun. But if you just want pure entertainment and excitement and the insanity of the Attitude Era, you have to watch the main event. Mm -hmm. I'd give us a thumbs up, like a single thumbs up, not a double, because it's not, like you said, it isn't an all time great episode of SmackDown, even though it could have been with a few minor things, like a few extra things added to this to help move things along. This could have been a classic episode of SmackDown, but I think something you'll notice in this, and it's Part of the reason why there is a quite a bit of filler in the middle portion is that you know we're coming out of a pay per view. We've got like one for the UK audience to come like the same week, and then after that you're going to start building a properly a judgment day and like start announcing matches for that. So basically, it's a case of like 
okay, we're just blowing off some feuds, we've, we're continuing some feuds, but we've got some people who are wanting to move in new stuff, but we don't quite know what we're doing with them just yet, which is why you get TNA versus the Hardys for really no reason, while at the same time setting up, well, the Dudleys as antagonists to DX or a thing between Shane and Big Show, or even Too Cool versus Edge Christian. So you are setting some things up, but there are still some things that are to come in the next few weeks. I guess, yeah, there is some filler in the middle, but because they are just about to start the build, they aren't quite starting it yet. I can kind of figure that. Like you said, those two matches that you mentioned are recommendations, I think, are solid choices. I could even throw on the brief hardcore title segment just for the fun element of them wrestling on the bloody bouncy castle. And again, showing the, like, if people are they don't like the 24 7 stuff I have on current day TV, but haven't seen the hardcore stuff, show them this to see how fun it could be. And, like, for a resident standpoint, yeah, probably the Dicey 2 match is probably better. You know, let people see Jericho, you know, when he was good. Uh, and, yeah, I'd say a singular thumbs up for me, but I think they could have so easily made a few, changed a few things about this episode, like, especially the middle portion of it. And I agree with you, this could be a double thumbs up. This could be one of the best episodes we had, we had talked about so far. If they just change a few minor things. Yeah, I think. That's probably the main feeling that's going to be taken away uh, to some degrees is the missed opportunity that if they had just done a little bit better in the middle section, you could have been talking about a, a classic episode that had everything you wanted. But instead, it's just a episode that has some classic moments that you want to watch, mainly The Rock. Oh, Hebner and the IC title match. And it just, it's always going to have that feeling of what if. But, you know, as a return from several weeks off, it's a really good start. And I feel we could be really happy that this is what we, this is what we got to watch. Because if we, if we come back out to a little while and we end the first episode was absolutely diabolical crap, um, then there would have been no momentum whatsoever and it was going to turn into a bit of a struggle. But (laughs) this makes me actually want to watch the next event. And that for me is, it it deserves as much credit as possible. Mm -hmm. Do you also mention about the rock here? I mean, this guy is barely in this episode. Like between you see a team of the rock and Errol Ebner and the fact that majority of the focus on the show is Errol Hebner between those two on that team is just so weird, but Drop makes the most of whatever time he does have on TV, no matter how little it is, which again shows how just how much of a star he is. And, you know, it's just a, it's a good thing that they have him at this time to be that one guy to help, like, carry, you know, especially as, like, the main face. Uh, this episode of SmackDown may not have had everything you wanted, but we like to think here at Rogue Pines we have everything you might want. We have shows on all sorts of topics. Wrestling, pop culture, football, whatever the fuck Nathan and Ben talk about on a weekly basis. Uh, but Sam, I'm sure you've got what people might be looking for in written form because I'm sure in our time away you might have had quite a bit of writing done. No, not really. Um, <laughs> you continue to disappoint. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, actually, there is an upcoming article that I'm very happy with uh, in celebration of The Rock's 25th anniversary since his debut as a wrestler. 
I am uh, currently doing the 25 best rock matches, which will be published on Cultured Vultures, hopefully sometime this week. Um, and I'm hoping that it will be absolutely wonderful and people will love it because everyone loves The Rock. And watching moments like this makes you remember why you love The Rock. Um, I'm also looking to possibly do a couple of movie articles except as well, but nothing confirmed for definite yet. Um, and I need, I'm going to be going back into doing a bit of, uh, writing for, uh, wrestle joy. I've had a little bit of a break from writing mainly because I was working ridiculous hours at work, but now life is back to normal and there will be work coming soon. Maybe I'll tell you in the next Smackdown episode in three to four months time. All right then. Uh, you can find uh, Rogan Baines on Twitter at Rogan Square Baines. You can find me at Scott McLean 1996. You can check out the other podcasts I do. It's also on this feed. Uh, Scott and Paul Rambling podcast at SP Rambling on Earth one feed and on Rogan Baines feed, which is at all good Android podcasts and says wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Android, wherever. Uh, me and Paul on most of these episodes, you know, tying into our four year anniversary the other week. Uh, this week you'll hear us reminiscing about our days at college where we got to make a number of short films and reminisce on the mistakes we made in some of those short films. Do I know the story of how we got the police phoned on us while we were making a short film? Uh, tune into that podcast to find out. Uh, also, me and Carl, who would never leave me to do a podcast, uh, we are back with Pod Age. We're finishing up The Bad Batch, all sorts of developments in the Marvel Universe ahead of Next week, where we will start breaking down each episode of the latest uh, Marvel Disney Plus offering, Hawkeye. Uh, we got I got No Dogs Barred, which is where I interview other people and Rogue Opinions. And in the future, I'll be interviewing people from the world of podcasting outside of Rogue Opinions. I've got some things lined up I'm trying to schedule. And eventually, I'm going to try and get Sam on for what I'm sure will be the longest No Rogues no Rogue Barred we've ever done and will ever do when I eventually get scheduled. <laughs> and like I said, Naked Men have got stuff on. Carl and Liam have uh, Rogue Chronicles where they look at various villains. Uh, it's all going down on the day of Survivor Series. I, I returned to ESSR's YouTube show Quiz Showdown and uh, Quiz Showdown 16. Should have been called Quiz Showdown 2000, but that's just me. Uh, Quiz Showdown 16, oh my god, we're back again. Uh, where I defend my Quiz Showdown Championship, the most dominant Quiz Showdown champion currently. Uh, ahead of the fact that I will be hosting the December episode of uh, of Quiz Showdown, Quiz Showdown X7, Quizzing Ain't Easy, or no, Christmas Ain't Easy, that's what it's called. Uh, you know, got to represent the rogue opinions while on the SSR. Uh, and talking about, you know, stuff that happened, you know, good, happened like 20 or 30 years ago, uh, I will be on a podcast in the coming week, few, I'll be on a podcast in the coming weeks uh, for rogue opinion. I will be on a podcast for ESSR in the coming weeks. Looks back 20 years on from Survivor Series 2001, the official end to the invasion storyline. A storyline that is often criticised, but I think has a really good finish, and that's particularly that 515 to main event Survivor Series. I think is an all-time great 515 Survivor Series match, and I will fight anyone who disagrees. I, I don't actually disagree. I think it's fantastic. I think it has wonderful stakes to it. Um, 
it's the sort of like um, brand warfare that you actually give a shit about as opposed to what you seem to get most years nowadays. And it has some of the biggest stars of the last 30 years involved and also Shane McMahon. Um, <laughs> so it's, it should be um, fantastic. I'm very envious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be recording that this week and it'll be uh, out soon. But, you know, all that and more with here. Also, something I should point out, it's even more important everything that we've got uh, coming. It's already been recorded, but next week you'll hear finally the Insurrection Watch Along. Sam won't be there because he's somehow weaseled his way out of doing the UK pay-per-views. But I have found my co-host Paul from Scotland and Boggess. He will do whatever I ask him to. So I have him and his uh, boyfriend Brian will join me. Brian didn't really want to join us. He doesn't really like being on the podcast with us because he he fears he'll be the putchy to Archie and Scratchy. But the three of us have a rip-roaring time. There's alcohol and all sorts involved. And, you know, we actually and get more enjoyment out of the show than we thought we would. So uh, you don't even have to watch Insurrection. Just listen to us talk about it. We'll give you our version of commentary for it. Check it out. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm sure it'll be tremendous fun. Cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you missed out on some classics, let me tell you, boy. Uh, but, no, let's take on... Uh, after that, me and Sam will be back to continue the road to Judgment Day. What the hell are those creepy children all about? Well, we actually see Freddy Krueger pop up in a WWE ring to scare some personality into Steve Blackman. Who knows? But until it's next time... It's more entertaining than Kane appearing, obviously. Uh, he was he was on the poster, and he's not even going to appear because he's that boring. Steve Blackman's so boring they don't even put him on a poster. Thank you, everybody. This has been the Rogue Retro Smackdown Review. Goodbye. Goodbye.